Welcome to Alora University Radio, Ricky. Welcome to Black Warren Reads, a weekly showcase from the authors of current releases from Black Warren Books. All stories read are available for purchase from BlackWarrenBooks.com, Amazon, and wherever ebooks are sold. Thank you for joining in and enjoy the show. Good evening, and welcome to another episode of Black Warren Books on this day. March 17th, 2023. Happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody. Again, this is the return of Black Warren Books as we are now beginning a new um, book from our catalog, namely Samhain Secrets World Premiere. This was our first anthology and literally the debut for Black Warren Books as it launched on our company's launch date on October 31st of 2022. We're hoping that, you know, we're still going to be talking about this in um, <laughs> basically when we get to Halloween this year. Tonight, we are starting off with the first story that is featured in you know, World Premiere, and that would be Climbing the Charts by David M. DeMar, better known as Dave the Dragon, one of our moderators and one of our editors here at Black Warren Books. Dave is known for, you know, some of his, you know, science fiction writing, diesel punk, etc. But he's also, you know, starting taking a crack at urban fantasy. And this is one of his first, you know, tries basically with climbing the charts. And, you know, given by the reviews, specifically from uh, Lisa from The Novel Approach, it was pretty good. For our cast tonight, reading, of course, for Ricky Konax, uh, also as the narrator. Chad, Mac, Divinicus, and other miscellaneous voices. We have David M. Demar, aka Dave the Dragon, who will be the one who's going to be um, putting his voice to the meat grinder tonight, much like I did when I was reading Nick Blackhorn. For the parts of Thorley and Sharon, we have Ali Demar. For the part of Byron, we have Renard Defleureau. For Dags Konax, we have Sky Sisk. For the characters of Summers and Chauncey, we have myself, Vaughn R. DeMont. And in the role of Anigan and Hannah, we have returning Kaz McDonald. This is going to be a two-part, basically a two-parter. We're going to be reading through about the first, how many chapters was it, Dave? It's about nine chapters. It's about the first 70 pages if you're reading along from in the book itself in the published uh, collection. Yes, and for those of you who want to read along, Sound Secrets World Premiere is available at blackwarrenbooks.com as well as Amazon, Apple Books, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, and wherever else ebooks are sold. So with that, we would like to welcome you to the probably one of the more crazy Halloweens that have happened in the Argent City, and we will start with climbing the charts. Mr. Damar, please take it away. Chapter one. You would think that as a dragon, I wouldn't be phased by being in the center of a magical thunderstorm a hundred feet off the ground, especially the last gold dragon next in line to be king, second only to the Rockcath himself, praise be his name. You could think that, but you'd be wrong. Instead, I was in my human form, 
clinging to a radio mast 60 feet above the roof of a four-story tall university building, trying desperately to not slip and fall because the component I had to replace was too small to be handled in my natural form. All while my sister's ex-boyfriend, furious that I had shit-talked him on the air last week for dumping her, was creating the mother-of-all mini-hurricanes right over my head. This is the last time I listened on my music theory, Professor, I thought wildly, buffeted by gale-force winds and drowned my scaly skin. I thought back to just a few weeks ago, the moment that got me into this mess in the first place. Chapter 2 the clock chimed and Professor Chen bustled in, dressed as always in slacks and a tweed blazer over a rumpled graphic tee. I grinned when I saw it was the bad religion shirt that he had worn the first day of classes last week. He waved, setting his messenger bag down on the table in the front of the class. All right, guys, let's take attendance so we can get started. Music theory went all too fast. We had been in the middle of a discussion about the emotional impact of major versus minor keys when the clock chimed once more. Okay, that's it for today. Listen, before you all leave, remember that the college radio station is still looking for students to staff up for the semester. He picked up a sheaf of flyers off the table and waved them about. And yes, that includes not being behind the mic or answering phones. Chen gave me a pointed look and I gave him a shrug in return. Anyway, it's perfect if you want to learn more about audio engineering and day-to-day -day operations. It's filling up fast. I smiled at the professor on my way out and took one of the flyers, turning over the idea of working at the radio station in my head. I didn't put it in my bag. Instead, I started reading through it as soon as I was back outside on the quad. I became so preoccupied, I didn't realize what was about to happen until it was too late. In a flash, I collided with someone who had been walking the opposite direction, and I found myself painfully on my ass in the middle of the footpath. Shit, fuck face. Uh <sighs> Oh, shit. Look who it is. My blood ran cold at the voice. I looked up and my fears were confirmed. It was Summers, the honey-voiced she from my business management class. A retinue of hangers-on were clustered around him. You got some big old balls walking around by yourself in the middle of the day. <laughs> you overgrown iguana. His face split in a mirthless grin that turned my stomach. I clambered to my feet, still clutching the flyer I had grabbed from Professor Chen. Summers, impossibly handsome by human standards, laughed in my face. His leering followers, she like him, were flanking him, forming a loose semicircle in front of me and blocking my path. Sorry, I mumbled, eyes down. Summers barked a short laugh out there, buddy. He snatched the flyer from my hands. Is this the radio station? He looked back at me. You want to be a DJ? Ricky? <laughs> he dropped the flyer and it fluttered to the ground. His cronies laughed. What a fucking joke. He pushed past me, dropping his shoulder painfully into mine, and continued to jeer as he and his little cord of fiends walked on. Hands shaking, I scooped the flyer off the ground and walked unsteadily to a nearby bench, trying to breathe. Slow and steady, just like Miss Fremont taught you. I closed my eyes and went over everything I had learned in speech therapy. Okay, I breathed. Okay. 
My phone buzzed and I jumped. I fished it from my pocket and looked down at the message notification. How's your second week going? I unlocked my phone and stared at it for a moment. Finally, I tapped out a reply. Fine, busy with classes. Gotta go, next one starting in 15 minutes. I tapped send. A few seconds later, a reply came in. Good, call mom later, okay? A few nearby people who had seen the exchange between me and Summers were shooting over some curious glances, but most were watching him leave, especially the humans. Even by she standards, he was remarkably good-looking, despite the perpetual sneer he seemed to like wearing. And that's all non-mythic saw. He's right, I thought, looking down at the radio station flyer. A DJ? I can't even talk to strangers. Hands shaking, I balled up the flyer and went to toss it, but I didn't see a wastebasket anywhere. I just stuffed it in a pocket instead, slumping back on the bench. I should have stayed in Portland with Mom's side of the family. I sat there for a while, trying to stop shaking from embarrassment. I wasn't doing very well. Finally, I pulled out my phone and checked the time. Shit. I looked across the quad and checked the time again. Nope. No way I'd make it now. I sighed. Fuck it, I'm in no mood anymore. I stood up, knees still weak, but mine made up, and set off. Chapter 3 Ricky, don't you usually have a class around now? Naveen was behind the counter, looking at me quizzically. Yeah, I, uh, I wasn't feeling all that great. I shrugged, not about to get into it with a human about the she and the dim view they took of my kind. I, uh, I thought I'd... Come by and check on that inner library loan I put in for a couple days ago? Let me check. Actually, uh, hold on. He walked away from the counter, sticking his head through the office door behind him. Hey, Alan, did Ricky's thing come in today? The answer was muffled. Why is he here? Naveen looked back at me and grinned. Dirty blonde hair, light brown eyes, really good tan for a New Englander. Who else could it be? I winced at his description, knowing what was coming next. Sure enough, Ellen came bursting out of the office behind the counter, clutching a mailbasket nearly as big as she was. Only a tuft of dyed blue hair was visible over the edge of the basket until she set it down on the counter. Hey, Ricky! Uh, hey? I waved awkwardly. H how? <clears throat> I coughed. How are you doing? Better now that you're here. She flashed me her million-watt smile. I shifted uncomfortably. I think your stuff came in. Let's see. Let me see. She began rifling through the contents of the basket. No, no. Yeah, this is it. Wait. Is this what I think it is? She looked up at me, coal-rimmed eyes wide. For the second time in 15 minutes, my heart crawled up into my throat. This time for a different reason altogether. If it's for me, that's exactly what it is. Ellen pulled a sealed manila envelope from the basket. She read the label. In her library loan, Frederick Konak's 314 Condry Hall, Alora University. Contents, one USB stick, four digital audio tracks. She looked back at me. You lucky fucker. Naveen cocked his head at Ellen, then looked at me. What's the big deal? It's, it's a digital copy of a really rare EP from the 1970s, I said. Ellen offered it to me, and I took it, carefully ignoring it when she brushed her fingers across my hand. Been looking for this one forever. I can't believe Alora's library system had a copy. 
Oh, that's cool, I guess. You want to listen to it here? The audio lab should be open. Naveen pointed across the lobby. Past the card catalog computers and to the left. There are headphones and everything. Thanks, I said, holding the envelope gingerly. I'll, uh, I'll let you know how it is. Fuck that, Ricky. You give it to me next. Ellen shook a fist at me and then turned to her co-worker. That's cool, I guess. Naveen, you wouldn't know good music if it bit you on the ass. Oh my god, Ellen, I do not want to hear it again. The sounds of their argument faded as I walked through the lobby toward where Naveen had directed me. The rest of the ambient noise plummeted to almost zero after I walked into the audio lab, the door easing shut behind me. I felt some of the tension in my shoulders leave me after seeing I was the only one in the room. The walls were lined with blue and gray anechoic foam wedges. Two rows of cubicles with chairs ran down the length of the room. I chose one at random, laying the manila envelope on the desk and sinking into the chair. The cubicle came equipped with an audio deck, complete with a combination cassette CD player, aux input, and a USB port. A pair of over-the-ear headphones were wired to the audio at jack, and I did my best in trying to position audio equipment designed for rounded ears over my pointed ones. It took a while. After finally finding a comfortable position, I broke the seal on the manila envelope and peered inside. It was a USB stick, all right, stamped with Allure University Interlibrary Loan on the front and Do Not Copy on the back. I powered up the audio deck, tried to insert the USB stick, reversed it, reversed it again, and finally got it in the port the right way. A few moments later, a light on the deck lit up green, and I pressed play. A second went by, then another. Then there was a pop, a hiss, and... Three, five, oh, one, two, five, go! I grinned like an idiot as a driving guitar riff exploded in my ears, followed just moments later by a drum track. I closed my eyes and listened. I was there in the backstage when the light came around. I grew up like a changeling to win the first time around. I could see all the weakness. I could pick all the faults. Well, I conceded all the faith tests just to stick in your throats. I paused the playback, slightly overwhelmed. This is the real thing, I thought. I took a deep breath, let it out, and pressed play again, listening to the rest of the track and the other three nonstop. Then I listened to it all over again. It was grainy, and some of the warmth and depth of the original vinyl might have been lost due to it being copied digitally, but that sound was unmistakable. It was all there. Stephen Morris's drumming, Peter Hook's driving bass line, Bernard Summers' growling guitar, and Ian Curtis's voice. A part of me wanted desperately to find a way to smuggle it out of the library. I could probably get away with it, too, but as wonderful as getting to hear this was, it was still just a copy. If I could ever track down the original vinyl, though. Feeling considerably lighter, I left the audio lab and walked back to the front desk. Ellen took the envelope from me. You have no idea, I said to her, grinning. I have some idea, she said. You look like a completely different person. I didn't want to say anything, but you really look like shit when you walked in here. Alan, what the fuck? Naveen snatched the envelope from her hands. She scowled at him, giving him the finger. Naveen filed the envelope somewhere beneath the counter. Sorry, Ricky. You know what she's like. She's right, though. You look like you're in a much better mood. I shrugged. Well, I am. I looked up at the wall clock behind them. Listen, I better go. I'll see you guys. Thanks again.
I waved and walked off. The last thing I heard before slipping outside was Naveen yelling at Ellen again. Ellen was yelling back. I stepped outside into the now afternoon sunlight and checked the time. Mom should be home from work by now, I thought. I tapped my phone a few times. She picked up on the third ring. Ricky, Dad said you were going to call. How's it going, honey? Hey, Mom, yeah, I, uh, okay, I guess? I started walking toward the dorms. I just left the library. My minor library loan came in. The Joy Division EP? Wait, did they have the actual vinyl? I could practically hear her salivating at the other end of the line. No, I wish. It was a digital copy, but it was still amazing. I'll bet, kid. Oh, I'm jealous. I told you I saw them live in 79, right? Just about every time we talk about them, Mom. I looked up at some clouds scudded across the sun, temporarily plunging the campus into shadow. They blew by and I lowered my gaze. They opened for the buzzcocks, right? Oh, so you do pay attention, huh? She laughed. <laughs> yep, your Uncle Lance hooked me up with tickets. He had seen them on New Year's Eve at the Swinging Apple in Liverpool in uh, 77, I want to say. He told me that was when they started using their new name. She paused. Shame about Ian, though. He was so young. Yeah, but they were so influential. I mean, the entire post-punk movement. Oops, sorry, hold on. I dodged around a small group of students who were talking in the middle of the paved path. What was I saying? You were about to let me know that the new order was just as good. I scowled. I was not. They deserve a place in history right along. Listen, you know Blue Monday is a masterpiece, and you can't argue with that. I'll argue it all I want. Listen, when a cover by some new metal idiots from Los Angeles gets more play than the original, there's something wrong there. You couldn't turn on a radio without hearing it over and over and over. I fell silent. Hey, Ricky, you still there? Huh? Uh, yeah, sorry, Mom. I just... I looked around, spotting an empty bunch under a white oak next to the path. You got a sec to talk? Of course, hon. What's going on? I sat down heavily, the breath going out of me. I... I ran into him again today. Who? That she fuckboy? There was an instant edge to her voice. God damn it, did he hurt you? No, no, I'm fine. It, it was in the quad in the middle of the day. Just his typical summer court bullshit. It's just... I touched my pocket, feeling the lump of crumpled paper inside it. I had just left music theory, and I picked up a flyer for the radio station. I was thinking of going down there and volunteering to learn some audio engineering, but... He saw it and gave you shit. I paused. Yeah, it didn't help that I started stuttering as soon as he was in my face. Oh, Ricky. Her voice softened. Who the fuck cares about what that shit stain thinks of you? He's so inbred, he's practically a sandwich. I'm surprised he knows how to tie his fucking shoes without a team of brownies to do it for him. My chest started feeling tight. Yeah, but, Mom, he's got a point. I mean, who was I kidding? Fantasizing about being a DJ? Yeah, but Ricky... I mean it. I can barely talk to a single stranger without tripping over my tongue. How the hell would I be able to talk to hundreds or even thousands of strangers over the radio? That tight feeling was getting worse. It's almost like a burning cold ember in my heart. Fedora Konax. I froze. 
Years of only hearing your full name spoken by a parent when they were dead serious conditioned you pretty well. Stop it this instant. You are capable of anything you decide you want to do. You are destined for greatness. Have you forgotten who you are, my Rasa'an? Mom, I... Okay. I took a deep breath, trying to push down that knot of icy fire in my ribcage. I'm sorry, I mumbled. Listen, maybe I should go. I stood up and pulled the phone from my ear, ready to end the call. No. I paused. Ricky, so there, Ricky? Yeah. Don't let the shades under your skin. He's the youngest son of a minor baronet who thinks he'll make his bones by harassing you. You're fucking royalty. I stared down at my scuffed Chuck Taylors, rubbing the back of my head with the other hand. Mom, do you really think I could work in radio? Of course you can. Don't give up, Ricky, okay? What does the great one always say? You, uh, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take? That's right. Besides, think how nice it would be to rub it in that asshole's face. Seriously, hon, what's the worst that can happen? You go down there and it turns out they don't need your help? Yeah, I guess. I mean, what could it hurt? That's the spirit. Listen, I gotta go. I'm waiting for an update from the Rajatic office before the end of the day. We'll talk again later, okay? Okay, Mom. And uh, thanks. I'm proud of you, Ricky. Always remember that. I could hear the smile in her voice. I stuffed the phone back in my pocket and fished out the crumpled piece of paper. I unfolded it, smoothed it out, and read it. Student Union Building, 4th Floor, Suite 416. I looked at the large, square, concrete building across the way. A large sign near the front door read, The Sub. Students were streaming in and out at a steady pace. I looked back down at the wrinkled flyer, then back up at the busy building. Finally, I took a deep breath, thought, fuck it, and set off across the quad. Chapter 4 It was an incredibly gorgeous late afternoon. The sun was bright and warm, and the old-growth maples lining the walkways were still fresh and full of leaves. The flower beds, loaded with snapdragons and with more than a few bumblebees bending their stems, stood out against meticulously placed deep red mulch. Even the looming neo-Gothic buildings on either side of me seemed less foreboding than they usually did. A shadow shifted, and I looked up. One of the gargoyles on the old main tower changed its position to catch a little more of the sun. Do gargoyles have to go to college? I entered the student union building. Before I knew it, I was standing in the sub's fourth floor hallway, pacing back and forth in front of the elevators, my stomach up in my throat and my pulse throbbing in my temples. I walked down to the end of the corridor and stared at the wall for the fifth time. At a T-section, there was a sign with the numbers 401 through 409 printed on it, accompanied by a left-facing arrow. Right under it was printed 410 to 418 with an arrow pointed right. I looked down the right hallway. The floor was carpeted in institutional brown. The walls painted a neutral tone of off-white. Turning my head in the other direction revealed much of the same. It was deathly quiet up here, and I hadn't seen another soul since stepping off the elevator almost five minutes ago. This is a bad idea, I thought, turning around again. I looked down the short corridor to the relative safety of the elevator bank. Maybe I should try tomorrow. 
I took a few steps towards the elevators, not rising in my stomach, before pushing the call button. It immediately turned red. An unbidden image of Summers leapt into my mind, his face a cruel rictus of resentment and scorn. Come on, r r r Ricky. <laughs> Run away like the little hatchling you are. <laughs> I snorted and looked away from the glowing button, shaking my head like I was trying to dislodge the image from my brain. Ignore the she-fuckboy, Ricky. Mom's voice rang in my ears like I was still on the phone with her. I didn't raise you to back down to fascist assholes. Get in there and give it a try, Gretzky. I laughed, despite myself, imagining each of them on my shoulders dressed in little cartoon angel and devil outfits. The elevator dinged and the doors op slid open. I looked into the empty compartment. My distorted reflection stared back at me from the polished stainless steel wall. A tall, lanky kid with tousled, dirty blonde hair, light brown eyes, tan skin, and dressed in college-chic denim shorts and a zip-up hoodie over a faded Iggy and the Stooges shirt. Well, that's what I would have seen if I was human. Instead, my skin, covered in minuscule iridescent scales, shimmered where the light hit them. That, combined with my pointed ears and the slight hint of a vertically slit pupil, was more than enough for most other mythics to clock me as draconic. Lucky me! That was all the excuse Summers had needed to give me shit from the very first day of classes. At least he couldn't tell what color I was unless I was in my true form. If he knew that. I bared my teeth at my own reflection, revealing a set of sharp upper and lower incisors. No, I said. I'm not hiding. Not this time. I huffed and glared at myself until the, the doors slid black closed, and then I turned around and walked down the corridor, turning right at the T-intersection. I walked with purpose, knowing that if I slowed down, I'd lose my nerve immediately. The numbered doors continued climbing as I went. Odd ones on the left, even ones on the right, and as I passed room 415, the walls began to be adorned with different framed posters of live music acts. The next door loomed ahead of me on the right. A large sign had 416, Alora Universal Radio, 96.7 FM, WPHX, printed in large letters. A line beneath it read, The Home of the Rising Firebirds. There was no window. Taking a great big breath, I reached out and knocked. There was no response. Fighting the urge to cut and run, I knocked again, then waited. Finally, I reached out, grabbed the doorknob, and after a brief struggle with myself, went inside. There was an office on the other side of the door. It was equipped with a beaten-up desk, its top and sides plastered with peeling band stickers. On the surface was a laptop, a phone, and several loose pieces of paper. There was a ratty-looking couch against the left wall with what looked like a crocheted blanket thrown over the back, and the walls were covered with more music posters and even some official-looking plaques. A small speaker installed in the far corner of the ceiling was playing softly. To the right of the desk was a door leading deeper into the studio, a lit on-air sign above it. Hello? My voice sounded tiny, even in the small room. No answer. I fished the tattered flyer out of my pocket and clung to it like a talisman as I looked around. I was drawn to one of the silver plaques on the wall. Peering closer, I read it aloud. The National Association of College Broadcasters Radio Station of the Year 2021. Huh. I tried not to jump at the sound of another person's voice behind me. I'd like to think I didn't, even though I probably did. Oh, uh... Hi.
What looked like an upperclassman dressed casually in a pair of khakis and a tucked in polo shirt was leaning on the doorway, the expression on his dark skinned face guarded. Can I help you? Oh, no. I mean, I mean, yeah, I, uh, I felt my ears go hot, but I took a second and steadied my breath. Yeah, my, uh, my music theory prof said you guys are looking for help. I waved the ragged flyer in my hand. The student in the dory relaxed a little. He nodded. Oh, yeah, we're definitely still looking for people. You, uh, you don't seem like the type of person who feels comfortable behind the mic, though. He paused. What do you have for music theory? Um, Professor Chen? I shifted uncomfortably. I'm, uh, really interested in audio engineering. You know, board operation and stuff like that? Hmm. He gave me an appraising look. Yeah. Let me check something really quick. He walked over to the desk and flipped open the laptop, leaning over it without sitting down, and ran his finger across the trackpad. Yeah. We've actually got a couple of spots open for board ops, though most of the good slots are filled. He looked up at me. How do you feel about a late night shift on Friday? Hard to find people willing to come in during prime party hours, so we're always hemorrhaging engineers. Uh, how late are we talking? Uh, well, we don't have much coverage during the 2 to 4 a.m. slot. DJ's all right, bit of a flake as long as he's sober, but our engineer is looking to switch to an earlier slot. You can start training with them that night, shadow them for the broadcast, take notes, ask questions. Uh, yeah, I think I could do that. Strictly back-end stuff. You're right, I really don't feel comfortable talking on air. That's putting it mildly. Definitely. We're not about to drive off anybody who's willing to pull the graveyard shift. Why don't you come back Friday night, right around midnight? I want to take a nap beforehand, too. No drinks allowed when you're in the booth. That includes coffee. Right. Yeah, okay, that's a good idea. I nodded. I'll be here this Friday. I turned to go. My knees already felt like they were knocking together. Wait, my dude, I haven't got your name. I turned back, my ears feeling hotter than ever. Right. Sorry, I said. Just, uh, just a little excited, I guess. He laughed, handing me a pen and a pink post-it note. I wrote my name and my number as legibly as I could, hands shaking, and handed the note to him. He read it. Ricky Kone... Konex. He repeated it. Konex. Is that Eastern European? Something like that. And I uh, didn't get your name? Right. I'm Byron, general manager. He held out his hand and I shook it. His grip was warm, professional, strong by human standards. You probably won't see me Friday night, but I'll let your audio engineer know their newest trainee is coming. Welcome to Alora University Radio, Ricky. Chapter 5 I rode the elevator down to the first floor in a daze. As soon as the doors opened, I rushed out into the crowd of students, leaving my way through the front door and down the steps. The late afternoon sunlight hit me square in the chest, and I took in great gulps of air like I had just come up from diving deep in the North Atlantic. Holy shit, I thought. Holy fucking shit, I did it. I grinned, shaking my head in disbelief. I can't believe I did it. I took out my phone and immediately tapped out a text to mom. I got the gig, working at the graveyard shift, training as a board operator. I start Friday night. Barely 30 seconds went by before she wrote back. Fuck yes, Ricky, so proud of you. I smiled, then blinked. Mom was sending more messages. We need to talk playlist. 
What's your target demo? You have freedom to choose artists? You want to come pick up some of your vinyl at the apartment? My eyes grew wide as mom continued blowing up my phone. Finally, I got my wits together enough to type out a reply. Mom, slow down. I'm just going to be an audio engineer. Another second and her reply came through. Yeah, for now, maybe. Come for dinner tonight. Mac and Dogs will be there. We can tell them the good news. I winced. I don't know, Mom. I'm kind of busy. i got to study. My phone dinged once more. I'm making fisk bolo. Rachel is starting to fly courier earlier. Catch of the day. Fresh haddock. There was no way I could say no to that. Okay, okay, I'll be there. Please don't make a big deal out of it. I got a thumbs up emoji in response. I stuffed my phone back into my pocket. Better than cafeteria food for sure, I thought, and set off toward the edge of campus. A few minutes of walking in the afternoon sunlight and a quick stop to pick up something to bring for dessert, and I saw the UTA bus stop ahead of me. Small crowd of, mythic, you know, small crowd of students, human and mythic alike, were waiting. I joined the throng, craning my neck to look up the street. A few minutes later, a large computer bus, commuter bus, already halfway full from the look of it, pulled to a stop. About a dozen people spilled out and then went their separate ways. I waited my turn to step on and flashed my Alora University student at the student ID at the grizzled, bored-looking dwarf behind the wheel. The bus rolled on. About 20 minutes later, it pulled up next to a long line of well-maintained brownstones. I got up, cradling the dessert box carefully, and stepped off. It took me another few minutes, but eventually I showed up in my parents' building. The RFID fob on my keychain granted me access. I walked inside, past the small but clean foyer where the mailboxes were, and pushed the call button on the elevator. It whirred to life, and a few moments later, the door slid open. There was no one inside. I stepped in, turned around, and pressed the button for the third floor. A short ride later, and I came out into the carpeted hallway, turned left, and walked down to the end. I could easily hear people talking from the other side of the door. Took a big sigh, pushed a smile up onto my face that I didn't completely feel, and knocked. Oh, that's probably Ricky! The door opened, revealing my mother in her usual getup. Ice blue full hawk, sides freshly buzzed, two hoops in her left nostril, studs in both ears, and a medium-sized spacer in her right earlobe. She was in well-worn ripped jeans and an open flannel over a black tee with the words, The Sex Pistols Always Sucked, stabbed on the front. Come on in, kid. You're the last one here. She grinned at me and threw her arms wide, her pale skin catching the light from the foyer and causing her scales to glitter. I smiled again, genuinely this time. Hi, Mom. I hugged her, careful not to crush the, the cake box. I brought dessert. Oh, Ricky, you shouldn't have. She took the plain white cardboard box from me. I'll set it with the others. She turned and walked into the kitchen. Ricky's here, guys. Dinner will be ready soon. I closed the door behind me and shrugged out of my hoodie hanging it on the one last empty peg on the wall. The rest were filled. A lightweight long coat, a battered vintage motorcycle jacket, a small bright red jacket, and a suit jacket on a coat hanger. I trailed after my mother into the kitchen. She set the dessert box down next to two others on the counter, each one more ostentatious and expensive looking than the last, and turned back to the stove, where the fiskaboler was sautéing in a cast iron pan and giving off their signature aroma. I looked down at the largest and most ornate of the boxes. The top was gold foil stamped with the name of a bakery and a Destry Bay address. A tag attached to the box read, From Mac. I sighed, moving through the kitchen into the rest of the apartment. 
My father and brother were in the dining room, lazily setting the table and talking. Dad was in a faded Allure University sweatshirt, his salt and pepper beard trimmed impeccably to make up for the thinning mop on top of his head. Mac, who looked like a younger version of Dad with more hair on top but less on his chin, was in his shirt sleeves a silver tie around his neck. The knot was loosened in what I could only assume that my brother thought was artful. They looked up when I walked in. Hey, there's the college boy. My father's face split into a huge grin. He set down the plate in his hands and hugged me harder than I was expecting. How's the life of an undergrad? Hey, Dad. Yeah, it's good. Busy, you know. Hey, Mac. My brother waved to me over Dad's shoulder. Golden boy, late as usual. Nice of you to join us. You're getting a haircut, you hippie. He grinned, showing a little too much tooth. I suppressed a shudder the nickname and smiled back. Same time you pull the stick out of your ass? He laughed at that, a little too loud, his eyes flat. Fighting a familiar feeling rising in my stomach, I turned back to my father. Where's Dagmar? He looked a thumb over his shoulder. Your sister's in the living room. I nodded and walked through the doorway, took her right down the short hall, and popped my head into the next room. Hey, Dags. My sister was seated on the couch, her back her back to me, phone held high in hand and angled down at herself. She soundlessly raised her other hand in greeting, holding up a finger, before casually running it through her pale, blue-streaked hair. I heard the faint sound of a phone camera shutter. She lowered her hand again. Hey, little brother. Sorry, sharing Connie's crypto site like he asked me to. She craned her neck around, revealing features that mirrored my mother's closely, though she had chosen an ice blue undercut to mom's cobalt full hawk. Oh, God, is he still trying to push that lightning coin garbage? And don't call me that your egg hashed a whole three hours before me. It still counts. She slouched on the couch, scrolling through her phone. And it's Thundercoin, Ricky. He's ramping up to release some NFTs by Halloween. She rolled her eyes. Lucky for him, he gets free tech support from his girlfriend. Uh Uh-huh. I snorted. Yeah, I'm sure your quarter of a million Insta followers don't hurt. 1.2 mil now. She looked up at me with a grin. And climbing. My father called out from the dining room. All right, come on, guys. Enough standing around. Dinner time. Dagmar sighed, threw up a peace sign, and took one last picture before getting off the couch. Stuffing the phone into the back pocket of what looked like designer jeans, she said, Think Bahamut you're here, by the way. If Dad and Mac go on one more second about market capitalizations, I was going to have to fly back to Portland with their blood all over me. I trailed behind my sister on the way to the dining room. Mom had put a huge spread down on the table with the Fiskaballer in pride of place. A couple of freshly opened bottles of wine stood within easy reach. I pulled out a chair and sat down, picking up my napkin. Cloth, Mom? Really? Is the Raketh coming to dinner? Quiet, you. She brandished a serving spoon at me. I can't enjoy having my whole family under the same roof for a night. When's the last time this happened, huh? Two weeks ago, Dad said, smirking at me. Right before the fall semester started. He held out his plate to my mother, who filled it and handed it back to him. Thank you, honey. And it's been a long two weeks without my hatchlings. She gestured for my plate, and I handed it to her. She started ladling food onto it. A lot of food. Who knows when we'll all be together again? She handed me a heaping plate. 
Jeez, Mom, leave some for the rest of us, Dag said. She handed her over her own plate. You trying to fat him, fatten him up? Well, he's so damn thin. Heroin chic went out in the 90s, Ricky. You gotta eat more. She handed back my sister's plate and gestured for Max. Yeah, Ricky, maybe it's time to start hitting the weights or something. Maybe get on the protein. My brother took it back for Mom and set it down. We can't have our future great leader looking like the Wendigo from those potato chips you like. What would Grandma Yuta say? He leered at me. I looked down at the huge plate of food in front of me. It smelled delicious and looked even better, but suddenly I wasn't very hungry. I picked up my fork and chased a fishball around in the sauce for a second. I mean, I... What your brother's trying to say, Ricky, is that he's just concerned for you. Right, Mac? Dad shot my brother a look who stopped mean-mugging me and nodded, suddenly very interested in his own plate. Besides, I can't say I'm a little jealous. Last time I fit in skinny jeans was 1922. He grinned, grinned, leaning back, patting his stomach. Too much of mom's fiscaballer on you won't fit on the throne. Oh, Christ, I thought, forcing what I could only assume looked like a good-natured smile to my face. Dad, you know I'm nowhere near old enough for that. You never know, Dag said, pouring herself a generous glass of wine. Greatness thrust upon them or some shit like that. She looked up. What? I read. Doom scrolling and Taylor Swift lyrics don't count. Max speared a fishball with his fork and jammed the whole thing in his mouth. His eyes rolled back. Oh my god, Mom. You say this with fresh? Flown in from the electric office this morning, she said, sipping from her own wine glass. What, you think I was going to just go down to Whole Foods and pick up a few pounds of the garbage they call fresh? I wouldn't be caught dead there. Well, not without a couple of Molotovs. And dinner wound on from there. My sister remained snarky. Back, Mac barely kept his resentment in check. And Dad tried to keep the peace. Mom just looked happy. Finally, we finished. I stood up and helped clear the plates, trailing after my mother into the kitchen. Dad and my siblings stayed seated around the table, talking. Well, Mac talked. I set the dishes down on the counter and took the top one off the stack, handing it to my mother. She turned, rinsed it off in the sink, and then placed it in the open dishwasher. So, spill it, the radio station. I felt hot around my ears. Oh, well, yeah, I'm starting Friday night. Um, Graveyard shift, the 2 to 4 a.m. slot. Just training as a board operator for now, going in a little early to get some hands-on experience. Their engineer wants to switch to an earlier slot, so I'd be... Well, I guess I'd be the replacement eventually? That sounds fucking exciting! She grinned as I handed her another plate. This is how it starts, Ricky. First, you're running the board. Next thing you know, you're programming sets, recording promos. Hell, you'll even start going out to shows and meeting local acts. Yeah, uh, I I don't know about that. I mean, from what I've seen of the city so far, the scene looks a little dead besides the Palace of Wisdom. I mean, not that that's not an amazing venue, but isn't it the only game in town at this point? Uh, tell me about it. She turned back to the sink, turning off the water and picking up the plate she had just set down. Your brother's interning at this goddamn real estate developer on Industry Bay. They're buying up whole blocks in Beckettsville and Grunstadt so they can run out and flip them. The whole fucking city's getting gentrified. Like, does she need more neighborhoods to stink 
up. You better go looking for rare vinyl while you can before those damn vultures show up and turn those old record stores into gastropubs where they use first pressings as placemats or some other bougie shit. I grinned. Next chance I get, I promise. Good, she said, reaching for the box I had brought. Come on, it's time for dessert. Chapter 6 Turns out what I had brought was a big hit. Even Mac had himself a second helping, though he was certainly less than enthusiastic that the very expensive-looking dessert he brought stayed wrapped up on the kitchen counter. It was getting late at that point, so I extricated myself from the situation and fled back to the relative safety of my dorm. The next two days were a blur of typical freshman life. I fell into a steady rhythm that consisted of going to and from classes, catching meals at the food court of questionable provenience, and spending my downtime in the library studying or listening to music. Time wore on towards the end of the week, marked by steady texts from both my father, go get him, champ, and my mother, don't let them play any top 40 garbage. By Friday, I was ready for my first shift, though I wasn't sure if it was to show up or to throw up. Possibly both at the same time. The sub was deserted when I walked through the front doors that evening. The main floor hall, designed to accommodate large amounts of student foot traffic, seemed cavernous and liminal in its abandoned silence. The school bookstore was shuttered, and the doorway leading to the food court yawned darkly, leading to emptiness. The, wheat for, the wait for the elevator seemed an eternity. The ride up to the fourth floor was interminably slow. The sound of the elevator cables my only companion. The doors opened, and I stepped out into dim after-hours lighting. I could hear, faintly, the canned sound of the radio station being piped in from the modest speakers mounted in the hallway. I followed it, turning right at the intersection, and arrived at the radio station. The door was propped open, light spilling dimly out into the hall beyond. I took a deep breath, holding it in for a moment. Take the shot, number 99. I breathed out and stepped over the threshold. The main office was much as I remembered it from earlier that week, though there was a large backpack on the couch, a second laptop, and several loose pieces of paper next to it. Hello? I called out. Anyone home? Yeah, one second. It sounded like someone was rummaging around on the other side of the interior doorway, the one that led deeper into the station. Shit, hold on. Uh, hey, could you give me a hand? Uh, yeah, Sure. I stuck my head through the doorway and was almost knocked down by what looked like a stack of cardboard boxes with feet. I bumped into it, and it spoke. Uh, damn it. Hey, watch out. Grab the top box, would you? Put it down on the floor next to the couch. I grabbed it, lifting it easily. As I did so, the person I had been talking to became clear, or at least their head and shoulders did. Gracefully, gracefully sweeping ram's horns, almost lost in a tangle of curly, light brown hair and sparkling coal-rimmed eyes, brows drawn together in effort. Are uh, you the new guy, uh, Rick? Ricky, yeah. I set down the box where the satyr had instructed. The other two boxes thumped down next to them. Uh, Byron told me to come down tonight, said I could get some training on a board operation. Jesus, Rick, you're fucking tall. What have they been feeding you? The satyr, who was about a head and a half shorter than I was, was looking up at me. An untucked white button-down shirt, sleeves rolled up to the elbow, revealed intricately designed tribal tattoos flowing down their forearms. Below that was a black midi skirt. A pair of furry digitigrade legs ended in cloven hooves completed the ensemble. I blinked, thrown off by the satyr's appearance. 
Uh, between the timbre of their voice and the way they were dressed, I was having a hard time pegging their gender. The cedar hadn't waited for an answer, thrusting out a hand in greeting. Anigan. I shook it carefully. You ever worked in radio before? N- n- no, I said. I mean, I want to uh, work in radio. Jesus, Ricky, get it together. I took a deep breath. I mean, I, I like music. Oh, yeah? You and every other freshman that walks through that door. Anakin turned away, skirt swishing. I tried to spot any physical sign that would let me figure them out. I don't see any breasts, I thought, immediately feeling like a jerk. Hell, they didn't smell anything like the other satyrs I knew. That was for sure. Whatever. If you're willing to spend your Friday nights holed up here, then I guess beggars can't be choosers. They walked back through the open doorway, deeper into the radio station, leaving me in the office in stunned silence. A moment later, they called out, Well, you coming or not, Rick? I sighed, following. The hallway was long and narrow, going back to what seemed like 50 feet or so into the building. The right wall was plastered with music posters and band stickers. The left had several doors, some of which had glass windows. We passed by these, each revealing what looked like broadcast booths, complete with boom microphones, chairs and desks with computers, and engineering desks, decks festooned with light-up buttons and graphic equalizer slides. Anakin continued to talk a blue streak as we walked down the corridor. All right, so broadcast studios A and B are first. Those are our bigger ones. Studio C is usually used for prep work, though you can broadcast from there just as easily. We usually use it for the online feed, though. The corridor opened to the left, revealing a larger space. It was taken up with one of those bookshelf-on-rail systems, the kind with cranks on the side to open and close them, like the ones in the school's library's reference section. Here's the station library, Anakin said. At least the physical one. A lot of our stuff is digital now, but we've still got shitloads of CDs, tapes, and vinyl. They they motioned to each stack in turn. Someone had applied strips of masking tape to label several of them. If you can't find the library or in the database, you'll have to bring it in yourself. Or that's what we tell the DJs. You probably won't have to worry about that if you end up taking my engineering slot on Friday nights. Their voice got slightly fainter as they moved further down the hallway. Come on, Rick. Tour's not over yet. Oh, right. Sorry. Realizing I had been staring at the library, I tore my eyes away and walked through one last doorway into an even larger space filled with older looking audio equipment, a couch, a couple of mismatched easy chairs that were much ratter than the one in the front office, a large wooden wire spool that had been repurposed as a table and a mini fridge that was humming suspiciously loudly. Battens of anechoic foam were attached haphazardly to the walls. Anakin stood in the center of the room, arms held out to the side. And this, they intoned, is the garage. They spun on their heels, sweeping their arms wide. General hangout slash meeting space. We also record live performances here, like if a band comes in for an interview and we have them play one of their tracks. It's not exactly the regents, but it gets the job done. They dropped their hands, fishing a phone out from somewhere in the folds of their skirt to check the time. All right, uh, grab a seat and we'll start going over the basics. Then I'll take you inside one of the booths and show you how everything works. I nodded, choosing the least soiled-looking easy chair. It sagged when I sat, its springs groaning. I wrinkled my nose. Yeah, you get used to the smell after a while. I think it had been left out in the rain before somebody picked it up and dragged it in here. They sat down on the couch and gave me an appraising look. You're a draconic, aren't you? Uh, yeah. 
I flicked my eyes around the room. There was only one way out, the same way I came in. That's not going to be a problem, is it? Anakin shook their head. Where the she are going to come in here and put your head on a spike? Not going to happen. They flashed a grin that looked more like baring their teeth than smiling. You think that they would get along with us satyrs, but there's only one way we like to fuck humans, and that's not with fairy magic. I laughed nervously. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, my roommate's a satyr, too. Oh, really? What's his name? Nico? Do you know him? Oh, because we all know each other, right? They glared at me and then laughed. <laughs> Relax, Rick. I'm fucking with you. Yeah, I know Nico. Good guy, though. He's got awful taste in music. I swear, if I have to hear him talk about how Be Here Now is the... The best Oasis album of all time? Yeah, he's obsessed. I smiled, feeling a little more at ease. I can't convince him otherwise. Oh my god, I know. It's embarrassing, isn't it? Anakin laughed, clapping their hands. Like... He's got no idea of the context surrounding that album. All those music reviewers pushed it so hard when it came out, thinking it was going to be the next big thing from the Gallaghers. Oh, yeah, I remember that. They hyped it up like crazy. Anakin cocked their head at me. You remember it? What the fuck, Rick? You're a freshman. You would have had to be like, what? Negative five when it came out? I blinked, realizing my mistake. Uh, well, I remember being told about it. I had an uncle that was big into the scene at the time. He was a photographer. I remember him telling me that Liam and Noel were just swimming in Coke from like 96 to 97. He said they were completely out of their gourd most nights. Anakin nodded. Yeah, I heard they were fucked up pretty bad. No wonder the album sucked. I breathed an inward sigh as they dropped it. Anyway, I'll have you know, not all satyrs have shit taste in music like Nico. They paused. Okay, I've been meaning to ask this for a while now. You're like one of the only draconics I know of that isn't swooping over the Benedict looking for assholes to eat. What are you doing here, man? Adelora, I mean. I grimaced. Uh, well, my dad, he's an alumnus, wanted me to go as a legacy student. I kind of couldn't say no. I looked at them. Can I ask you something, too? Yeah, shoot. Um... I bit my lip. This is probably going to sound really rude, but how do I make this sound better? I don't think I've ever seen a satyr wearing a skirt before. Anakin looked down. Oh shit, is this a skirt? They grabbed two handfuls of fabric in mock panic and then dropped them, grinning. I'm Envy. I blinked. N-B? Non-binary? It clicked finally. Oh, oh, oh I'm, I'm sorry. Was that a sensitive question? Relax, Rick. Yeah, most satyrs identify as male, but plenty don't. I'm one of them. They looked at me. You trying to figure out what to refer to me as? I nodded, my ears hot. You can use they, them pronouns with me. They shot me an appraising look. That okay with you? I nodded again, still feeling like an idiot. All right, now that we've got that out of the way, can I do any more emotional labor for you tonight, or can we get on with the training? I smiled weakly. Yeah, I guess we should. Great. Come on, let's relocate to Studio C. It should be empty. They stood up. I did the same. 
following them down the corridor. Chapter 7 Welcome to Jurassic Park. Anakin threw the door open and bowed low, gesturing with their hand. Studio C was smaller than the other booths. The furniture was a little older, with the desk sturdy but weathered. Its office chair was similarly beaten up. A small love seat, an institutional-looking one that you could find throughout the common rooms in Allure University's residence halls, took up the wall to the right of the desk. A couple of battered filing cabinets, flanked by some metal folding chairs that had been stashed on either side, lined the back wall. The equipment on the desk made my eyes water, though. A big boom mic on a metal armature looked like it had seen better days thanks to the black paint flaking off the boom from several places. A ratty pair of over-the-ear headphones was resting on the tabletop, its cord patched in three different places. Electrical tape, duct tape, and a Batmobile band-aid. The audio board looked like something from the 1970s, and the computer had one of those super loud clickety-clackety keyboards, a beige two-button mouse without a scroll wheel, and an old-style Square 2 monitor. A set of battered-looking radio audio, Im, audio input equipment with a dual tape deck, a CD player, and an auxiliary input completed the ensemble. I picked up the mouse and turned it over. It had a little trackball underneath. Pulling out all the stops, I see. Not as bad as it looks. Come on, sit down. They gestured to the office chair. It creaked loudly as I eased myself into it. See? Fits like a glove. Now let's start going over the board. Uh, you see all these little sliders? Each one labeled something different? They pointed. It looked like something from the control room of the Death Star's laser cannon. Still, I could see the top of each vertical slider's columns had been labeled with black sharpie on masking tape. Master, CD, tape, database, aux. Yeah, are these, what do you call it? Volume sliders? Gotten one. They leaned down, their sleeve brushing against my shoulder, and tapped a translucent button on the bottom of the headphone slider. It lit up. When the light's on, line's open. If it's off, it's muted. DJ chooses their input for broadcast, fades it in and out manually, stuff like that. Board ops can do it remotely, too, when necessary, like from another studio. They tapped the button again, extinguishing the light. And of course, the master toggle controls volume for the whole board. If that's off, nothing's broadcasting, even if every other input is open. They lean back, crossing their arms. Make sense? I look down at the board again. It seems simple. I mean, I wouldn't be adjusting anything uh, live on the air, right? Anakin smirked. No, but you need to know how to operate the board for doing things like setting up station identifications, PSAs, and shit like that. We don't really run commercials, especially on overnights, but if a local event is scheduled to happen soon, like that secret McQueen sneak preview happening on Halloween, you'd need to know how to queue it up so the DJ can access it through the computer. They patted the giant tube monitor. It wobbled. I looked around the room. I didn't see any music shelves. So what, all the audio can be pulled up from the computer or something? Yep. They turned the monitor on. I winced at the sound. Anakin shot me a quizzical look. What, you heard something? I rubbed my temples for a minute. Yeah, uh, we've got pretty good hearing. Dad's Clan Argent, but I take after my mom. She's Clan Snow. Really good hearing, even for a uh, uh, draconic. The high-pitched whine began to fade. Clan Snow? Wh which one is that? Uh, I guess you'd call them white dragons? 
semi-aquatic, so kind of specialized for swimming. Mom's side of the family can hold their breath for hours. I grinned. She likes to say she could hear a sturgeon fart at a thousand fathoms during a nor'easter. Anakin wrinkled their nose, looking at me. Then they burst into laughter. Uh, your mom sounds pretty cool, Rick. They shook their head and pointed at the screen. A small window was in the center, the words, enter your login and password in block letters. This is our database program. I'm sure Byron hasn't put you in the system yet, so let me log us in for now. They leaned over me again to tap at the keyboard. The screen cleared, revealing a complex-looking menu. All right, this is the main database. It's connected to the station server where all our digital audio lives. Not just songs, but pre-recorded PSAs and station items, too. It's also, it also runs our streaming station. They handed me the headphones. Here, put these on. I'll show you how to play one. Let me just turn them on. They tapped the corresponding button on the board. And the feed from the database. They tapped another. I slipped the headphones on, inexpertly trying to fit them over my ears. Okay, I said. Now what? Anakin grabbed the mouse, navigating through the database. Here, let's play a station ident. Ah, shit! I winced as the headphones came to life. You're listening to 96.7 FM WPHX, Alora University Radio, the sounds of the rising firebirds. I yanked the headphones from my ears. Fuck, that's loud, man. Oh, shit. Sorry, sorry, I didn't. God damn it. The last idiot in here left the volume slider up too high. Who the fuck? Let me check. Adigan turned around, opened the top drawer in the leftmost filing cabinet, and pulled out a clipboard. Let's see who the asshole... Yep. Fucking Chauncey. I rubbed my, at my ears, squinting up at them. Who's that? That, my friend, is the shit stain that has the 2 to 4 a.m. DJ slot on Fridays. They sighed, tossing the clipboard back in the open drawer. He's the reason I'm looking to switch slots. What, because he doesn't take care of the equipment? No, because he accidentally misgenders me every chance he gets. He's a fucking cum-fart of a person, and if I have to put up with him one more semester, I'm going to end up on America's Most Wanted. They sighed, pushing the drawer closed with enough force to make it slam. The two to four slot. Wait, isn't that the one I'm supposed to replace you on? Oh, don't worry. He's a typical cishet dude, bro. Shouldn't give you any shit. Just say you're into crypto or not discussing your emotions or something. They looked up at the wall clock above the door. In fact, he should actually be here soon. Supposed to be in an hour before shift to start prep. Hold on. Anakin took out their phone. I'll text him. I swear, he better not have gone off on one of his ketamine benders again. I blinked. Are you serious? Isn't that like a horse tranquilizer or something? He swears up and down it's for his depression. They tapped their phone again and then stuffed it back somewhere in their skirt. I think he just likes a little special K for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Anyways, let me show you how to put a set list together using the database. It's all drag and drop, like building a Spotify playlist. Anakin took another few minutes putting me through the paces, letting me get some hands-on experience on going through the database to find audio files and slotting them into the playlist. It was a lot less complicated than I thought it would be, especially after staring at the board and all its sliders and buttons. The audio player showed runtime for each track, 
the entire playlist and what do these mean? I pointed at a time readout on each track that preceded the runtime. Each one was different, but they were usually anywhere from a few seconds to almost half a minute. Oh, those are cues. Anigan started playing one of the tracks. The first readout began to tick down while the overall runtime started ticking up to the track time. When the first number hits zero, the lyrics kick in. Here, like this. They turned on the audio. I heard an instrumental track until the cue ran out. Then someone started singing. This way, the DJ knows how much time he has to hit the post. The post? Yeah. Uh, you know how you're listening to the radio and the DJ seems to know exactly how long they can keep talking before the next song starts up? That's called hitting the post. Used to be DJs just had to know each song they were playing, but now everything is keyed so you can see exactly how much time you have if you're, like, introing a song or something. Feels like cheating if you ask me. I watched the runtime tick down as the track kept playing. Huh. I did not know that. Adigan stopped the playback and logged out of the database. All right, Chauncey should be here any minute. Let's get out of here and I'll walk you through the prep process. They check the time again. Actually, he should have been here by now. I don't think he texted me back, though. They pulled out their phone. Honey, you're close, man. We've got less than 15 minutes before he's on the air. A crash came from the front office, making me jump. The fuck? Chauncey? Anigan walked out of Studio C. I got up and stood in the doorway looking down the hall. Chauncey, you're really late. What the fuck? Oh, shit. God damn it. They sounded suddenly very tired. Rick, come here. I hurried down the hallway, stopping short behind Anigan. A blonde-haired human student dressed in a rumpled red hockey jersey and tan cargo shorts was sprawled face-first on the carpet, ass in the air. A weather-beaten Tiva sandal was hanging from one, from one foot. The other was missing. <laughs> Reporting for duty, ma'am. <laughs> he slurred, failing, flailing one arm in what I could only imagine was meant to be a salute. Anigan sighed. Oh, for fuck's sake, not again. Chapter 8. Anigan kneeled down and pushed, rolling Chauncey over. He protested, flailing half-heartedly. The front of his jersey was emblazoned with the words Argent City Corgis, along with a large black paw print in the center. It was also wet, stained, and smelled strongly of cinnamon and vomit. Damn it, man. Fireball, I told you that shit's gonna kill you. He looked up at the clock on the wall and cursed floridly in what sounded like Greek. Rick, help me get this malaka up on the couch. Uh, right. I bent down, wrinkling my nose, and hooked my arms under his armpits. Anigan grabbed his ankles. We heaved on the count of three and easily got him up, his head lolling back at an awkward angle. Anigan grabbed a plastic waste paper basket and put it on the floor close to Chauncey's head. Well, we're fucked, they said. We've got less than 15 minutes until we've got to be on the air. Better have it, He better have a set list picked out. They strode over to the desk, leaning over it to flip the laptop open. A few clicks later, and they scowled. God damn it. Nope. Now we've got to come up with two hours of music in 11 and a half minutes. Shit. I started backing up. Uh, maybe I should go? You look like you're going to be really, uh, busy? Yeah, I sure fucking am. God damn. Adigan looked up at me, their eyes like sharp, shining flints. Wait, that's it. 
Rick, you got a music player on your phone? Uh, yeah, but what what is that? My heart skipped a beat. Oh, oh no, 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 no! You you don't want me to pick a playlist, do you? You're here, and I can't do it. You don't know enough to run the board for a live broadcast yet. They pulled open a desk drawer, rummaging through it. You don't have a login for the database, but we can route your phone output to the aux pickup. If I can just find the right. They pulled out a battered-looking mail-to-mail audio cable, holding it aloft like a carnival prize. Please tell me your phone has an audio jack. I blinked several times. I don't... I mean, yeah, I do, but no, you, you can't just... I took a deep breath. And again, I'm supposed to be up behind the board, not the mic. Can't you do both? I fought to keep the pitch of my voice from going up through my throat. I wasn't doing well. No, not with... Eight minutes to get everything organized. They walked over and grabbed my elbow. Come on, it'll be fine. Just pick a song, intro it, and use the runtime to keep building a playlist from whatever you can think of. I'll handle the rest. I tried to pull back, but Anigan's grip was like face steel. They led me back into the station hallway, practically shoving me into Studio C as my heart hammered in my chest. Come on, give me your phone and put on the headphones. I'll get the board set up. They pulled one of the folding chairs from the wall and flipped it open, plunking it down in front of the computer. I pulled out my phone and unlocked it. Anakin grabbed it, stabbing one end of the cord into the headphone jack and handing it back to me. They jammed the other end of the aux port on the audio deck. Pick our first song. I stared down at my phone. The icons on the screen might as well have been Sumerian. But... Rick, now is not the time. Anakin glanced up at the wall clock. We have six minutes. Come on, choose something, anything. They dashed out of the studio, shouting, I'll be right back. My face was hot, the blood rushing in my ears. My stomach felt like it was being squeezed in an icy electric vice grip. Knees weak, I sank into the office chair, staring at my phone screen. All I could hear was the wall clock, each slow tick like a Jotun's footfall. I thumbed my music player icon. A moment later, it sprung up, showing the last track I played. Anigan stuck their head through the, door, through the doorway, making me jump. I might have whimpered. Hey, I'll be in Studio B. The equipment's better in there. I've slaved the board in here to it. I opened my mouth and pointed to my phone. Found something? Great. You'll hear me in your headphones. All you need to do is tap play on your phone when I tell you. They were gone before I could say anything. I checked the time. Two minutes, 15. Then I looked down at my playlist. The first song was... Oh, boy. The last thing I had been listening to had been the Akira movie soundtrack. I heard Anakin's voice in my ears. Okay, we're set up here. I winced, turning the volume slider down slightly. Make sure your mic is close to your face. It's directional. I pulled it over and fumbled for the button that turned it on. Can, <clears throat> can you hear me? I heard the slightest echo of my own voice coming back through the headphones. Yep, loud and clear. Okay, a uh, minute 20. I'll drop a station ident, and then you can hit play after seven seconds. What? Why? What's... Seven second delay, standard for radio. All right, hold on, Rick. Don't freak out. The lights on the board in front of me flickered for a moment. Then the sliders and the mixer began to move on their own. Uh, and again, is that supposed to... Yes, I told you I'm controlling it from the next studio. Get ready, station ident coming up. The on-air sign lit up. A digital display underneath it began to count seconds. My headphones were flooded with sound. Up all night? 
an audio clip of a howling wolf played. You're listening to Alora University Radio, 96.7 FM. Four seconds. Five. Six. I press play, jamming my thumb hard on the screen. The track started with a peal of rolling thunder, followed by a, sec- a few seconds later by Japanese taiko drums. Shit, this is mostly instrumental. Should I say something? I opened ba- my mouth as the drum beat swelled. My, ma- my throat was so dry. Uh, hello, Alora University? The xylophones on the track kicked in. Your uh, regular DJ isn't, isn't here tonight, so I... I took a breath, trying to get my hands from shaking. I'm Ricky. Here's uh, Kaneda from the Akira m- movie soundtrack. I slapped the button that muted the mic, feeling like I had just played Frogger in traffic with cars driven by Angry She. The music washed over me hypnotically as the track grew more layered. Anigan stuck their head back through the doorway. I jumped. Again. Okay, you're on it. Wouldn't have you pegged for a wee, but it'll get the job done. What's your next song? Next song? I stared at her wide-eyed. Yes, your next song. This track can't be more than three, four minutes long, right? Get it queued up. They disappeared before I could say anything. I grabbed my phone, scrolling through my playlists feverishly. I need something different. Come on, Ricky, think. I had another minute and ten seconds before the first track ended. Wait, what was that? I scrolled back up to a folder labeled the New Wave Post-Punk Weirdness and tapped it, opening up. Talking Heads, Dead Kennedys, Joy Division. Yeah, this will work. I swallowed, wishing I had some water. The first track was winding up. I knew the next track had a few seconds before the lyrics started, so I put my hand on the mic button and waited. God, what was it called? Hitting the post? The track began to fade out, and I thumbed the mic button. That, that was... My voice cracked. I leaned my head to the left, away from the mic, and coughed. <clears throat> that was Kaneda from the Akira motion picture soundtrack by Geno Yama... I squinted at the screen. Yamashiro Gumi. I pressed play on the next track. Up next, we've got cities from Talking Heads off their Fear of Music album. I paused, listening to the next track begin to fade in. I need to buy myself some time. I don't have to intro every song, do I? After that, Holiday in Cambodia f- from the Dead Kennedys. You're, you're listening to a Laura University radio. I set my phone down and muted the mic again. Anakin chimed in over my headphones. Okay, I'm getting it. Not bad so far. Let's keep it up. Better than the shit Chauncey would play every Friday night. The li- relief in their voice was plain. We got this. You and me, Rick. Just another one hour, 56 minutes, and 15 seconds to go. A wave of nausea hit me. I pushed it down. Okay, I whispered to myself, picking up my phone. Let's do this. Chapter 9, and this will be the final chapter of the evening. I don't even know what time I got back to my room that morning. I really don't remember it very well, to be honest. What I did know is that I woke up at around 10.30, feeling like I'd been dropped off a building with my wings pinned. Groaning, I sat up in bed, looking around blearily. I was the only one there. Huh. I pulled my phone from the nightstand, unplugging it, and squitted down on the screen. There was a text from Nico. Out for the weekend with the squad. No sexy parties without me. JK, lol. I put my phone on silent and lay back down with a sigh. 
closed my eyes and just breathed. After a minute, my stomach gurgled. Damn it, I thought. Got up, threw on my bathrobe, and slipped into my shower sandals before grabbing a towel and the rest of what I needed. I had the communal showers to myself this morning, so I took my time, just standing under the water for a few minutes while trying to process last night. It was mostly a blur, but, well, looking back on it, it did at least a little fun. Kinda. Not enough to do that again, though. I guess the radio station was a bad idea after all. When I got back from my shower, it was close to 11. Shit, I missed breakfast. I started rummaging through my closet for the snacks I had stashed there, but only came up with an empty cardboard box. The hell? There was a teal post-it note stuck to it. We got real hungry last night. We'll get you back after the weekend. Nico. Grinding my teeth, I grabbed my phone and looked up for the food court hours on the university website. Lunch didn't start until 12.30. I sighed. Well, there's always the diner. I winced at the idea. The thought of having to wait an hour and a half to eat what was barely a step above prison food motivated me. Just 20 minutes on the UTA and I could get whatever I wanted. But the price, I thought. There's always a price. A little less than half an hour later, I got off the bus in front of the K Street Diner in all its squalid glory. I hesitated to walk up the steps, my resolve fading until my stomach rumbled again. Ugh, fine, I thought. The bell tinkled when I walked in. It hadn't changed a bit since the last time. Same stool-lined counterstop, same worn yellow booths, same waitresses. Hi, is it just you? Two- Oh, Ricky, is that you? A middle-aged human woman dressed in a well-worn waitress uniform smiled at me. Look at you! Hannah, come look at Ricky. You hired to see Dave? I try not to wince. Oh, uh, hi, Sharon. Is he, is he on today? Sharon grinned at me. You know he can't afford to hire any other cook. Surprised he still got us on the payroll. She rolled her eyes. I'll get your usual booth. You need a menu or you know what you want? No, actually, can I get it to go? I got uh, studying to do. Sure thing, Ricky. She pulled a pen and her guest check pad from her apron pocket. What'll it be then? Um, a ham and cheddar omelet, rye toast, and hash browns, please. Coming right up. She pulled the pad out of her apron and scribbled on it. I'll put this in right now. She smiled. It's good to see you again, Ricky. I watched her slip back behind the counter and stick the check in the carousel. I leaned back against the hostess stand and just people watched for a few. It was the regular crowd for a late Saturday morning, about an equal mix of humans and mythics. There was even a particularly hungover-looking pair of werewolves in the farthest corner. From the looks of it, they had two bloody steaks each. They weren't using any silverware. I turned to look out the window, watching the traffic crawl by for a few moments and losing myself in thought about last night's trial by fire. I must have zoned out slightly because I jumped when a large brown paper bag was plunked down in front of me on the hostess stand. Here you go, Ricky. Good to see you, by the way. Hannah, the other waitress, dusted her hands off. Hey, yeah, it's been forever since I had the chance to stop in. Things have been crazy with school. I cocked my head, noticing the shoulder seam on her waitress uniform was slightly torn. Hey, what happened there? I asked, pointing. Hmm. Oh, yeah. She sighed, placing the guest check on the counter next to the to-go bag. A couple of slower were in here last night. Thought that they would start some of their spooky shit. I gave them a taste of the Great Huntress and they bolted, but I didn't have a spare uniform with me. I had to borrow one from the back. 
She hooked a thumb over her shoulder. Barely visible through the pass-through was a large cardboard box. The words Fort Warelion in Sigil, the language of mythics, were scrawled across the front in black sharpie. Someone had cut out an image of Nala from the Lion King and taped it to the side. I winced. Sorry, Hannah. Well, at least they don't come back anytime soon, right? She grinned, growling deep in her throat. Her pupils turned into slits for a moment. I almost hope they do. Dave says it's okay if I eat a few unruly customers time and again. Keeps the rest of them in line. I laughed and pulled out my wallet to pay for breakfast. Despite myself, I was looking forward to digging in as soon as I got back to my dorm. My uncle had been doing this long enough that it showed. As a result, the K Street Diner was a local institution at this point, and it wasn't for the ambiance. Hannah handed me the receipt and I signed it, then pulled some bills from my wallet and stuffed them into the tip jar on the counter. Ricky. Hannah scowled. What are you doing? Put that back right now. Oh, no, you don't, I said, waving her off. I know what my uncle pays you guys. Take bank out for a night on the town or something. Hannah laughed, shaking her head. You're a pain in the ass, Ricky, but you're a good kid. Say hi to your folks for me, okay? She reached out and ruffled my hair. Oh, jeez, Hannah! I went, dancing out of her reach. I'm not a hatchling anymore. She grinned, relenting, and turned to greet a pair of humans that had just walked through the door. Thinking I was in the clear, I grabbed my to-go bag and turned, ready to slip out the door. Hey, Ricky! Ricky, that you, kid? I froze in my tracks, cursing under my breath for a second. Then I turned around. My uncle had stuck his head, all glittering silver scales, through the pass-through. He waved, an offset spatula in his hand. Hey, come bound back before you leave. No avoiding it now. Okay, I'll be right there. Hannah gave me an apologetic look as I made my way around the corner counter, clutching my bag of food. I stepped through the doors into the kitchen. Hey, Uncle D- Huh? I looked around, but there was no sign of him. The hell is he? Uncle Dave? His familiar voice rang out from the recesses of the kitchen. Back here, kid. I craned my neck noticing the fire door along the back wall had been propped open. A scaly hand waved me over, and I obliged. My uncle was there on the loading dock, leaning against the outside of the wall, the bottom of one foot braced against it in his best, best Anthony Bourdain pose. He, grinced, he grinned at me. Nice to see you, kid. How's the fam? They're doing okay, I shrugged. Max doing his corporate thing. Dags has her nose buried in her phone. Mom's plotting the overthrow of the government. And Dad's just trying to keep all the plates in the air. You know, the usual. Dave pulled an unlit cigarette from behind his pointy ear. He screwed it into the corner of his mouth. No mean feat, considering he was half-transformed, as always, and then cocked his head, using a finger to close one nostril. He shot a short jet of flame out of the other, lighting the end of the smoke. Yeah, that sounds like Chad. He took a deep drag, plucked the cigarette from his mouth, and exhaled. I wrinkled my nose at the smell. That's... that's not tobacco, is it? Nope. Dave grinned at me. What, you think I'm out here raw-dogging reality? The hell with that. We all have our vices, Ricky. He took another drag. So this is your first semester at Allura, right? How you liking it so far? I shrugged. Okay, I guess. Just a couple of weeks in, so I'm still feeling things out. Classes are... interesting? Yeah, I'll bet. Your dad told me you joined the college radio station, too. Actually, he wouldn't shut up about it. He was proud as hell, Ricky. 
It was one night, Uncle Dave, and I was just pitching in because the overnight DJ literally pissed himself in the front room and the engineer needed help choosing two hours worth of tracks. Hey, you got to start somewhere, right? Dave took another long drag, then pulled it from his mouth, the butt pinched between his scaly thumb and forefinger. He pursed his lips, directing a pencil-thin gout of flame to char the stub to ash. So you know what I'm going to ask you. No, I did not play any. Oh, come on, Ricky. You know they're one of the best bands in the history of hard walk. Why are you going to do them like that? Oh, my God. Uncle Dave, yeah, masters of what? Dressing up in the schoolboy uniform and duck walking across the stage for 50 years? They're butt rock, and you know it. Hey, don't you disrespect them. G-Mock glared at me. They're iconic. Come on, you couldn't have at least played one track? They've got so many hits to choose from. I mean, you can't tell me the opening to Thunderstruck isn't one of the most recognizable riffs of all time. Yeah, that's because it's been used in like a billion commercials for a billion years. You say that like it's a bad thing. Jeez, Ricky, you gotta play at least one track next time. Oh no, that was a one-time thing, I swear. I ran a palm slowly down my face. Besides, the whole ordeal was exhausting, man. I had about 30 seconds of prep time, and I was pulling songs out of my cloaca left and right. It was terrifying. I thought I was going to die. I must have been crazy to agree to it, but I couldn't deal with the prospect of two hours of dead air, even at two in the morning. At least now they have time to get a permanent replacement DJ, and I can stick to working the board, which is what I was supposed to be doing that night. My uncle left. If it was such hell, Ricky... Why do you sound like you kind of enjoyed it? He grinned. A desk bell chimed inside, and he stuck his head back through the open doorway. Oops, looks like break time's over, he said, dusting his hands off his apron before clapping me on the shoulder. Don't be a stranger, okay, Ricky? And play a little ACDC next time. He winked and disappeared back into the kitchen. I rolled my eyes. Not if my life depended on it, I called after him. I walked down the back loading dock steps and slipped through the alley back to K Street, making my way back to the UTA station and trying not to salivate too badly at the smell of my late breakfast coming from the bag. I dug my phone out from my pocket to check the time and blinked. I had something like five or six text notifications, all from the same number across about a period of three hours. I unlocked my phone and brought them up. Hey, it's Ann again. Brian, Byron gave me your number. Call slash text me back. Hey, Rick, where are you? Gotta talk real quick. OMG, answer your phone, fucking phone, nerd. We need to talk. Call now. Swearing, I tapped the call now button on my screen and held the phone up to my ear. I could hear my heart ratcheting up in my chest while the line rang. The line clicked. Rick? About fucking time. Where the hell were you all morning? What the hell was going on? My ringer was off. What's the big... Shut up and listen to me, Rick. I clammed up. You're a hit. My mind went blank. What? What are you talking about? You're set last night. You're a fucking hit. And that's it for this evening. Next Friday, we will finish with the second half of On the Air. On the Air. No, not On the Air. Of Climbing the Charts. Can you tell I'm stuck in revisions we want to thank everybody tonight for basically coming in to listen. We also want to send out a huge thanks to the voice cast for tonight, um, including myself, Renard Deflaro, Sky Sisk, Kaz McDonald, and, of course, uh, David M. DeMar 
as the narrator slash protagonist, Ricky Konax. Okay, we will be resuming again next week. After that, we'll be moving on to um, The Kick Gloves Are Off by Chris Schaefer. After that, Done and Dusted by myself, Von Ardemont, and concluding with The Audition by Sierra Dean. Again, if you'd like to read along, please feel free to pick up your own copy of Samhain Secrets World Premiere at www.blackwarrenbooks.com or Amazon, Apple, Google, or wherever ebooks are sold. Thank you all again. Stay safe, stay warm, and see you next week. Black Warren Reads is a production of Alora Public Radio. Episodes are edited by me, Chris, and posted to Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Learn more at blackwarrenbooks.com. Black Warren Books. Be the hero, not a token.